We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Thanks, gentlemen. It's exciting, isn't it? Getting our first missionary as a church. So we're excited for the Zaners. And um, uh, if you are staying for potluck, and I hope you do stay, especially because last time someone brought some fried chicken. And that was good. That's a, a little bit of a hint. Please bring that again, whoever did that. But um, you can visit with the Zaners, and they get to know them a little bit more. But if you would, open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 7. And at this time, children, you may be dismissed, ages 7 and on down. Can head on back with Mr. Peter Leeper to the gathering lights. Learn about the gospel. Have a great time, Peter. We are in Daniel 7. And um, it has been a joy the past six weeks to cover the life of Daniel and to see how God has been building his forever kingdom and he uses people to do it. And we've seen Daniel and his three friends uh, live out the gospel and follow the Lord. Last week we were in chapter six and we saw God preserve his people and protect them. And then we also had the call that God calls us to persevere in that when we studied Daniel in the lion's den. And now we are starting the second half of the book, which is the prophetic section. We call it the apocalyptic section. Remember when we learned that word together? And we said, you know, whenever that word is used, like, like images of like zombies and werewolves usually come up. That's kind of what the world thinks. Uh, and that's okay. It's talking about like the end times, the last days, the, uh, when the world ends and things like that. And just a small encouragement to you again, this stuff that we're going to learn um, matters about the future is very fascinating to everyone, to Christians, absolutely. But also non-Christians are fascinated about the future. Just look at their video games and what they're reading. They're reading fantasy. They want to, to know what is happening. They're all into dragons and like beasts and things like that. And so this would be a great time, again, to invite your friends, family to church, to our community groups, uh, to coffee and discussion, and be bold with what you're learning in church, saying, we learned about these like kingdoms in the past and kingdoms that are coming and beasts and dragons and things like that. I promise you'll catch their attention. Okay? So we're in it. Let me, before we start... Let me just give you two quick words on, um, on prophecy so that we as a church can enter into this next section of the book really well. The first is the purpose of prophecy, okay? Purpose of prophecy. When we think about prophecy, the goal is for you not to walk away with all these charts, timelines, 
and like to have all the precision down of what's going to happen in the future. That's actually not the goal. It is so easy when a church um, steps into discussions about prophecy that they start, um, that we start like either listening for, is the pastor going to get the right answer? Or maybe like, what camp are we going to fall in? You know, where, where's he landing? And all these like smart multisyllabic words are starting to be used when it, it talks about theology and things like that. And pretty soon you start craving information. And if we're not careful, we don't invite the information to actually transform us. So it's information rather than transformation. The goal of prophecy, friends, is holiness in the here and now. It's meant to help you walk with God now. I remember in our Texas home, if you're visiting um, me and my family, we moved here in 2017. And uh, our home, uh, our master bedroom in Texas was especially dark. Um, when we turn out the lights, I know everyone's rooms are dark when you turn out the lights, but this one was like even darker, right? And it was uh, A-framed room, kind of shaped like this, this room here. And there was this octagon window um, up above, um, um, placed on the wall. And I remember turning out the lights. If I was like the last one up, um, you know, I'd turn on the fan, turn off the lights. And I have this uncanny non-ability to see in the dark, which Hannah can see everything in the dark. It's crazy. I think it's because she eats like a lot of carrots. But, um, but like I... I would always like stub my toe on the walls and like hit our bed frame and, oh, you know, just, and I learned in this room that if I would just look up towards this octagon window, then I could orient myself around the room and get into bed and safely, right? And essentially that's what prophecy does for the church. It helps us walk in this world, in this dark world, it helps us orient our lives. It gives us perspective about what is to come. And it helps us walk safely home. So that's, that's the idea. So that, that the purpose of prophecy, dash, holiness. Next would be the posture of prophecy. The posture of prophecy, we can learn a lot from Daniel in chapter 7. But in a word, I would say humility. Humility. Uh, for the next six weeks and on, it is going to take us a long way. Um, I, um, each month I eat lunch with about 12 pastors. And um, this past month, um, we sat around a table and we, we said, all right, what book are you guys preaching through? And uh, when it got to me, hi, my name's Mike, and, da, 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 um, and I'm preaching through Daniel. And all the pastors started laughing. Right? And one guy goes, oh, at least everyone will agree with that one, right? And it was kind of this like, haha, pastor joke, 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 that uh, actually not a lot of people agree in the next half of the book. Um, these are tertiary issues um, about the end times, and they're, not everyone agrees. And, it, and it's going to be okay. And we need a lot of humility as we approach this. But... Um, with regards to humility, that's not even, that's not even the, the kind of humility that I'd like to talk about. Um, 
when it comes to prophecy and scripture, um, I have noticed in the last 10 or 15 years that the church um, responds more so, not in arguments, but in apathy. Um, and so the attitude towards prophecy of the church is, eh, whatever, just tell me how to be a good dad. But like, I don't really care about all that like stuff. And I would say um, that that is an attitude, not of humility, but of arrogance. It's, a, it's of arrogance. And so I just, I want to show you one verse where we can learn from Daniel in chapter 7 about how he approached prophecy. Um, can I read verse 16 for you? Go ahead and find it. It's right in the middle of your chapter. This is how we need to act and respond when it comes to prophecy. Watch Daniel here. It says, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. I know that's totally parachuting in the chapter and you don't know what's going on, but um, Daniel, here's the cliff notes, didn't understand this prophecy. And so what did he do? He asked for help. That's Daniel, right? Now, in this case, he asked angels, and I don't know any angels personally, so I can't say like, hey, church, like ask an angel for help. But I know this, um, that we can go to the Lord Jesus himself and ask for help concerning understanding of God's word. Isn't that great news? And he'll give it. He'll give us understanding of the truth. And so I thought even before that we started this next half of the book, that we could just bow our heads and in humility as a church say, hey, Lord, would you help us understand this, this next part of Scripture? You want us to know it. Would you help us? Can we pray together? So, Lord, we, we do pause now. And with humble hearts, would you help us not to be apathetic towards the things that are to come? And would you grant your church great understanding? Give us patience while we learn this. Lord, we won't be able to grasp every detail, every jot, every tittle. But I ask that your church would be more in love with you at the end of this next six weeks. And that we would have a great understanding of how to orient our lives in this Babylon-like world. And that we would stand strong for Jesus as the days are approaching. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, let's get started. The title for today's sermon is Forever in Control. And here's the timeless truth. It was true for them. and It is true for us today. This is a, the sermon in a sentence. It is, our God is in control. Because his plan is good. And his character is supreme. So we're going to see that in two points today that will govern our time. The first point is his plan is good. And so let's read a whole bunch of Bible together. Here's chapter 7, and I'll start in verse 1. Here's the beginning of the dreams. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Verse 2, Daniel declared, 
I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. Don't put that one on your coffee cup. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Here's verse 8. This will be the last one. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Well, that is the end of the sermon. Be warm, be filled, and let's have some lunch together, right? No explanation required. So there's a big difference um, um, when when we enter this passage, right, um, we need we need to ask God for humility, great understanding, and great patience. So let's let's start navigating these waters together. If you were uh, with us when we started this book, chapter two, uh, we saw that Daniel was given um, uh, the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this big statue with a whole bunch of medals. Do you remember that? And the metals represented different empires, different kingdoms. Here, we're given four beasts. And these beasts, let your eyes go down to verse 17. It's interpreted for us that these beasts are four kingdoms. Let me just read it for you so you don't think that I'm making this up. Verse 17, these four great beasts that we just read about in verses 1 through 8 are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So the beasts rose out of the sea. You're saying those are kings. They rise out of the earth, okay? The lion. The lion with eagle's wings. This is equivalent to Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, the Babylonian empire, okay? And we know that because it says that this beast was made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. So... That was when Nebuchadnezzar, seven years, was given like beast mode, right? He just crawled around, ate grass, was like a beast. And then he was restored and he would walk on his feet again. And that's what happened to this lion with, with eagle wings. The bear. The bear had three ribs. This is uh, um, so as to say, hey, this bear wasn't fasting. He was eating stuff. He was devouring. Um, and there such is the command, hey, rise up and devour. And that is like stereotypical or symbolic of the Medo 
Persian Empire. That's what they did. That's how they uh, conducted their empire. The next beast was the leopard with four wings, with four heads. The leopard implied a swiftness. The four heads was symbolic of the four directions, which is spot on for the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great. So far, it's in line with the statue that we saw in chapter 2, right? Those three kingdoms. But then we get to the fourth beast, and you would be anticipating the Roman Empire because that's how it shook out in the statue. Do you remember that? Two, two legs of iron, one east, one west. That's like... That's the Iron Roman Empire, right? We get to it, and it actually isn't Rome. And that's where our story, our lives fit right in the middle of, of history. So we've got three empires in the past in this chapter 7. And then we've got one empire that is yet to come. And we're living right now in 2022. So this is new material, chapter 7. Um, and remember that the title of this sermon, not just for title's sake, but trying to summarize what's happening in here, is that, that our God is forever in control. And so this fourth kingdom, to quote uh, someone earlier this morning, this is where it really gets whacked out, right? This is where it gets weird and kind of spooky, crazy and whatever. But the message still is that God is in control. So whatever's going to happen here know that it's not going to surprise our God. And because we're given what is going to happen in the Scriptures, it shouldn't surprise us either, okay? All right, so let's start, let's start learning about this fourth kingdom. Um, this, is, um, this is where we get our language called the Antichrist and his kingdom. Uh, New Testament speaks about it, but the hub of Old Testament prophecy is Daniel 7 through 12. And the hub in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. Okay? So I'm going to say two things about this Antichrist. Okay? Here's the first one. Initially, initially, the Antichrist will speak great things. Initially, he's going to speak great things. So the beast has these ten horns. One horn particularly rises up, which horns in Scripture, biblically, it's a symbol of leadership, okay? So one guy, one leader emerges out of ten. And in the second half of verse 20, let your eyes find there, we see like his conduct and character initially, okay? It says the horn, that's the Antichrist, that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. Okay, so are you guys with me so far? We're on the Antichrist. How are we doing? We're doing okay? Okay, we're, we're doing it. Here we go. Uh-huh. We're like, all right. Uh-huh. Welcome to church. This is... So the Antichrist will speak great things. Modern lingo... He'll be a great speaker. The content that he will deliver will be very palatable for the whole world. This will be a leader with great charisma. Um, you'll want to follow him. Oftentimes, when I think of, of Satan, demons, uh, the work of Satan, the Antichrist, uh, if I'm not pushed, 
I'll, I'll think of like um, maybe a dude with a red suit on, horns, tail, pitchfork, Hallmark card, and that's it, right? Um, but that's not, that's not quite it. Uh, it's not the case at all. Um, this guy will be wanted, not rejected. This guy will, will rise up when um, the world is crying out for help in a time of need. And he will be the answer for, for the world. He won't be repulsive to look at like the beast, but his nature will be beastly. He'll be very pleasant, and the world will want to follow him. Quick story. Last night, um, my family and I, and our extended family, went to a rodeo in town, uh, up 48 in Waynesville. Happens every Saturday night. They don't pay me to say that, but I would encourage you to go. Okay. Um, great rodeo. Great rodeo. This is a guy coming from Texas. This is a great rodeo. Um, we, we paid and went on in and sat there and, you know, kids can ride sheep and, and then it like kind of advanced to like mid-sized riders riding like mid-sized bulls and then like bull riders came on, on the scene, okay? And we watched like some great bull riding and then like there was this announcement that said, if anyone would like to, um, <laughs> there's $250 and someone is going to leave with $250 tonight. And so um, is get on the horns of the, of the bull. And I was like, all right, whatever, right? And Hannah goes, let's do it. I was like, Hannah, we don't, we shouldn't do it. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, and she was thinking that'd be fun. And I was thinking, you know, 250 bucks, maybe I could like buy her a new pair of shoes or something like that, you know? And so, so we sign up to this, this bull with horns, okay? And um, we go and we turn our license and we like, we're signing our names, right? And our signatures. And it's like, I didn't read the fine print. And I didn't have my glasses. I looked at the lady. I said, is this a real bull that we're going to? And I was thinking like they would put some like horns on a sawhorse and we'd lasso it, right? And so, they, no, yeah, it is a real bull. Just go behind there and get a helmet and uh, one of those bulletproof vests. And so we did. We did. And Hannah was getting nervous. And I was getting, like, more questionable about this situation that we were willingly putting ourselves in, right? And so um, I'm putting on this, like, seven-year-old vest, okay? And we got our helmets on. And they announce six guys and six girls and we introduce ourselves and the, like the rodeo MC was like what are you doing when he looked at Hannah and because he understood what was happening but we didn't have the appropriate expectations in this matter um, I saw some lassos like on the side but like where was my lasso right and um we talked to one guy earlier and we said, hey, have you ever done this? No, no, no. But my wife told me that if you come up behind that bull, that things will work out well for you. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not okay because you don't do that with horses, pigs, or any other farm animals. You don't like just come up. So we're standing in the middle of the bull arena. 
And I look at Hannah and she looks at me and like we grab our each other's hands. And then the announcer goes, send out Diablo, right? <laughs> and this is what my eyes did, ready? <laughs> and all of a sudden the gate swings open and Diablo comes out and he is angry. He's He's mad and he's bucking and, and it clicks. Oh my, what have I done? Do I have enough insurance? And both of us, who's going to take care of my children? And the, it, it clicks. Oh, we're supposed to grab this piece of fabric that's tied onto the horn. Well, that's safe. No. And so... The bull comes rushing at us, and Hannah beelines to the fence, immediately climbs up the fence. And, and I go like this. I've learned from like basketball and football, like linebackers, when a running back is coming towards you, your first step instinctually is to come forward, right? And so I grab your hand, and I started running towards the bull. And everyone else splits, and I was in the middle. And so I went like this. I went, and I think I pulled this muscle, right? I don't even know what this muscle is. I pulled it. It hurts. And so I'm running away from this bull. And, I, and he like, he jumps on top of this guy. Bulls him or bucks him up, okay? And then starts pouncing on him. He takes his horns and digs it into the guy and rips his jeans totally off. There's this guy in his underwear in the rodeo, right? And I'm going, what am I doing? This is not good. I'm not a wise decision maker. And so I crawl up on the fence. You guys need to be proud of your pastor here. This, this, your fearless leader, pastor, this is, this is me last night. You got the picture, Jen? That was me right there. I'm sitting on the rafters right there. The, the rodeo clown, he said, get up, get up, because the bull was, was like going after people with his horns. And so that was me. That was me. My response to the bull, way back. Not that one. That, yeah, let your eyes go all the way to the wood. That's me. That is me. <laughs> I did not win the $250, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm not in the hospital. Yeah, I know. Now, here is the, this is going to be the most challenging turnaround for this sermon, okay? My, my response, my response to the bull, Hannah's response to the El Diablo, right? It was wise. It was understandable, okay, why we would react that way. It wasn't our expectation that we would be, like, charged. I was thinking a nice little lasso on a sawhorse with some horns, right? And so, like, when people watched us retreat in, like, fear, it's very understandable, okay? Here's the turnaround. Catch it. When the Antichrist comes... That sort of response will not be 
understandable, it will actually be unpopular, very unpopular. People will not have a box to put others in that don't follow the Antichrist. It will just make sense. Why would you run away and not follow this pleasant person with charisma who has all the answers? Because it's not like you're going to look at him and go, that's El Diablo. Let's run from him. He'll, it'll be an attractive situation where you'll be drawn to him. Did we make the turnaround? Okay, good. That's the first thing. The second thing is that then, remember the first thing is initially he'll say great things, then he'll speak horrible things. Uh, look at verse 25 with me. He, that's the Antichrist, shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and time and a half. So there is the turning point in the Antichrist leadership when he'll speak words against the Most High. And this isn't just like, you know, sticks and stones type words. He's dissing God. This guy, we learn from Paul in Second Thessalonians, will sit on the throne and he will claim to be God and he will beckon, beseech, call upon the world to make him the attention, to make him the, uh, the object of worship because he will claim to be God himself. So that's the turning point after three and a half years. Do you see that part? Time, times, time and a half. So that's good lingo that we got to start learning. We'll get to it more at chapter nine. But times biblically, time biblically means one year. Times is two and a half is half a year, six months. So one plus two plus half a year, three and a half years. So he's going to be awesome for three and a half years. And then, boom, change. He's going to speak horrible things against the Lord. This will be halfway through the seven-year tribulation leading up to Christ's return. But we're going to get there in the next six chapters, okay? Uh, quick note, do you see how the Lord is in control even in all this bad news? Do you see even the precision of how God's word knows and deals with this matter? Like this isn't going to surprise the Lord. Everything is in his grasp. Everything is in order. He's in control. And that's not cliche. You do need to know that things will get worse before they get better. I'm sure you've already seen that attitude that the world has towards Christ and towards Christians and what the scriptures teach. Have you seen that? And that's one way that Daniel 7 is functioning for the people of God in Babylon. You see, the people of God in Babylon were going, okay, we made it through Nebuchadnezzar. That was pretty bad. Okay, we made it through you know, King Darius. Oh, we made it through Belshazzar. When we go home after these 70 years, things will probably be like smooth and, and they'll be all right. Right, Lord? 
And he's saying, actually, there's going to be a kingdom that is coming that will be far worse than those three guys in those three kingdoms. And so he's, he's preparing God's people with appropriate expectations. There's going to be another kingdom, and it's going to be far worse than the three of those put together. This past week, my family and I, we went hiking, and um, we, we chose this trail called Rainbow Falls, and uh, uh, it was 2.6 miles. Did you guys know that hiking 2.6 miles is a little different than walking? Two? Why don't you tell me that? Because we did not have appropriate expectations of this hike. Uh, we didn't pack a lunch. We packed like little mango slices. Okay. And we left at 11 for this hike. And this hike to get up to the top was two hours and 50 minutes. We were hungry. Okay. And on the way up, we would like, you know, you know how like everyone knows the elevator smile. Like when you, someone gets out of the elevator, everyone's doing it to me right now, actually. <laughs> you know it, you know it. It's like, it's this. Mm -hmm. So you're like walking by people like this while you're on the trail, but like an hour and two hours into it, you get a little more bolder, a little bit more like, hey, how you doing? Hey, hey how much, how much longer is this? And then and they would be like, maybe like 20 minutes. And you're like, okay. Okay, should we turn? Okay, let's keep going. Okay, so we made it to the top, and um, and we turned around, and our whole demeanor was changed once we knew the distance, once we knew the future, once we knew what it was like to get to the top. And so when we were turning around, oh man, we had all the smiles in the world, and we were not just giving people elevator smiles. And we weren't just initiating highs. We were actually excited about telling people that were like this and so discouraged. We'd be like, oh, guys, hey, it's just five minutes. It's just five minutes up, just a little bit longer. There's one more turn goes around and then you'll be there. It's going to be awesome, right? And that's what prophecy does to the church. Like to the discouraged or the weary, the downcast. It's like, how much longer? And then you see the end here. And it says to us, oh, it's, we know it now. You just need to go a little longer. Continue to persevere, church. It's just a few more steps. He just wants you to just keep going just a little bit longer. There's perspective. There's hope. Look at this quote. This is by a guy named Dale Ralph Davis. Seeing this secret behind history may not keep God's people from pain, but should keep them from panic. We may still be fearful, but should not frantic. We should not be frantic. And so this is the part of the passage, really, that's coming that should catch our attention. Um, while this is, there's a lot on the Antichrist, um, our, uh, what we should behold is found in verses 9 through 14. So this is point two. His character is supreme. Watch with me just for a second and, and geek out with me. Glory in the, in the literary structure of this passage, how it's laid out, okay? Look at uh, 9 through 
14, you see how there's three scenes in there? They're all, they're all broken up by, I looked, I looked. So verse 9, I looked. Verse 11, I looked. Verse 13, I looked. When he looks in verse 9, he sees the Ancient of Days on his throne. When he looks in verse 11, he sees the Antichrist being crushed. And then when he looks in verse 13, he sees the Son of Man coming on the clouds, right? I looked, I looked, I looked. And it's like that middle one that he looks like. You see how much ink that gets in your scriptures? It's almost saying, look at the Ancient of Days and how big and awesome he is. Look at the Son of Man. Look how much ink we're giving him. Look at that little Antichrist in there. You know, he's going to be crushed. Like that's, that's the structure of, of what the author is doing for us. It's like, hey kids, you ever like, you ever get the hump seat in the back? You know, you're like stuck in the middle and your older brothers are like shoulders all, and you just feel like small and squelch. And... You ever feel that way? That's, that's kind of like how it's happening in this passage. Except here, the beast is slain and burned in fire. And the little brothers or sisters, they just get the middle seat. So look at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. First off, don't you just love that? That our God is, is seated. There's a lot of human kingdoms that are usually busy, frantic, anxious. They're fervishly like caught up in diplomatic activity. But our God is calm, and he's in control. He's sitting. He's never surprised. He's never undecided. Our God is never in a panic. He's seated. Let's, let's keep reading. It says, His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning. Verse 10, A stream of fire issued and came out from his from before him, a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Just imagine that scene with me. Like I'm, I'm trying to like grasp it and, and communicate it to you in just like a word or two. And the the repetition that I just that you continually see is your. They go before him. They served him. They stood before him again. And Daniel is writing up this idea of, of 10,000 times 10,000. And you just get this idea of like infinity of people, right? Just imagine that. Just people as far as the eye can see. And then you behold the infinite. So you got infinity and the infinite. He's so big and bright and massive the people are standing before him in awe and in, in, in wonder. Another word comes to mind is just majestic and massive. That's our God. Like it's it's my my like on my bucket list to take my family to the redwoods in California and to stand before those big trees and go, look at how small we are and how massive. Got to get around. You know you can't. And can you imagine infinite amount of people standing before infinite God? And then you got little 
little antichrists, verse 11 and 12, being killed and thrown into fire. And then this is where it gets hot. You guys ready? Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This guy, look at his character. Look at how supreme and unique his character is. The, fir, the, the four beasts, they came from the sea, didn't they? But this, this being is coming from the clouds. What's he trying to say to us? That's a literal thing. He's trying to say this character is not of the earth. He's divine. And it doesn't say that the Son of Man. It says like the Son of Man. Son of Man would be like a man. And so it says like a Son of Man. So this divine being looks human. Looks like a man coming from the clouds. And look, look, just look at verse 14, how uh, kingly words, kingly language is used to describe him. He's king. He's got dominion, everlasting kingdom, dominion again. So we learn like, look at this, this divine being who looks like a man who's a king. Can I show you something? Go to Mark 14, 61 with me real quick. Mark 14, 61. So the high priest, he's asking, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, don't anticipate his answer just yet. He could say anything about himself. He's got a whole bunch of attributes. But Jesus chose his favorite one. He used it a whole bunch, especially in the book of Mark to talk about his character and how he was supreme. And he says in verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man, there it is, seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So Jesus says, hey, I am. I'm seated. That's from Psalm 110. It's a kingly passage. I'm the king, and I'm coming. It's a judgment passage. I'm coming on the clouds of heaven. I remember um, when I was playing ball with my brother Matt in high school, which at Potluck, you're going to get a chance to hang out with my brother and sister-in-law. Hang out with Martha, though. She's way cooler, okay? But when Matt and I were in high school, I remember the first time that I heard the term a high percentage shot. High percentage. Um, for a uh, just under six foot guy, a high percentage shot um, would be on the baseline, on the elbow, on the free throw line, about 10 to 12 feet away from the basket. High percentage. Those are good decision shots. But the most high percentage shot in the game of basketball, anyone know what it is? That's right. Slam dunk, which is kind of foreign to me, you know. <laughs> I'm not dunking these days, right? Or really ever, I need to be honest, okay? 
But if you can dunk, you should dunk. Why? It's the closest shot. It's, it's the highest percentage shot. I know I started with, with prophecy. There are a lot of things that, and a lot of, a lot of ways to read this, these passages of scripture. But can I tell you a high percentage slam dunk? This one. All Christians throughout all time, all creeds, everyone agrees that they're on all the charts. They're all the same with one in particular. There's an arrow pointed down and it's that Jesus is coming. That is a fact. That's not like just, oh, this church believes this. and No. To be Christian is to believe that Jesus is coming again. That's a slam dunk. You want to know what another slam dunk is in this passage? Look at verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. How long? That's right. So when Jesus returns, he will establish his kingdom and he will show the world what it's like to reign in a righteous way with a godly government. And his followers will rule with him and will be given responsibility over cities and various regions, which should color your idea of heaven. It's called the millennial kingdom, and we'll get there, okay? This is for a thousand years. So let's close our time. I'd like to just share with you two things. Um, worship team, would you mind coming on up? So I could teach this as a professor and just leave it factual, um, but um, I'm your pastor, and I want to pastor you with Daniel 7. Um, so the first thing that I want to say is that you can trust him. So number one, trust him. Hannah and I were talking this week about how we both feel like there are certain areas in our life where we have been striving. Striving to the American ear tends to be a good verb. It appeals to our American grit, our work ethic. Like, it's a great thing to strive. But spiritually, that's not a great thing. And we've been convicted by the Holy Spirit in certain areas of striving. To strive spiritually means to work hard on your own efforts in order to control an outcome. And that's one of the things that the Lord's working on us lately. We've been striving in areas and Psalm 46.10 speaks directly against our hearts. And I hope it'll encourage yours. It says, cease striving and, you know the rest of it? And know that I am God. To cease striving doesn't mean like, hey everybody, stop working and just lay around all day. It means to stop trying to control the outcome and results of everything around you and to trust him. This whole time we've been learning about how God is in control. And so 
obviously the call must be, I'm sorry, Lord, I've been in control. Would you help me and to stop, to cease striving and to trust you? Friends, we've, we've just spent time talking about what is to come if God has a plan from eternity past all the way to the Antichrist and through it for a thousand years to the millennial kingdom, all the way to the eternal state, which we call heaven. Do you think he has the absolute control over whatever is going on in your life right now? I think so. What are you trying to control? The second one is to serve him. First one is to trust him. The second one is to serve him. That's from verse 14. Do you see how Jesus was given all dominion, power and glory, and infinity amounts of people came, they worshiped him, and it, and it says, so that they should serve him. Isn't that interesting? And so I think that'd be a great thing to do to start now, if, you, if you're not already. Like, why wait, right? To have your whole life be marked by service unto the king. You can't read this passage and just not ask, am I ready, Lord, for your return? Pastor Mike said you're coming back. The Bible says you're coming back. Am I ready? Have I been serving you? So for the non-believer here, if you wait to hail King Jesus, you won't be ready. You won't be ready. If you got this idea like, oh, I'll just do it when I'm older. I kind of want to live my own life. You won't be ready. And so I just plead with you now to be ready for his return. How do you get ready? Um, spiritually, if you're a non-believer, to confess your sins unto the Lord and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to hail him as king, say, my life is yours on a phone. And for the Christian, the believer, news of his return, <laughs> it always motivates in various aspects. It always motivates to serve always tells you, Lord, I want to lay down my life to you. So we're just going to give you a little bit of time to just process that. We'll close in song after a few minutes, but just allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to know your mind, and to ask, Lord, how can I be ready for your return? How can I serve you with my life? And then Joel will lead us in song.